Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Let's pray as they wrap up in the back. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that uh, you open up our minds and our hearts to hear it, to understand it, to apply it to our life. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. Thank you so much for these, these very cool days that we've had here recently. Um, we appreciate your love. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for the opportunity to meet here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is this nice couple of cool days? So nice. It's not like a thousand outside all the time. So nice. So, so nice. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the world was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the water. Then God said, let there be light. Something that on the physical, on the physical side of life had never been manifested. It's only the spiritual side. And so from the spiritual, he pulls and manifest the spiritual world light into a physical thing into the world everything erupts with light then God says the light is good but so is darkness I'm going to name them like puppies light you'll be called day Darkness shall be called night. You'll serve to govern the skies, to be there as markers of the seasons so that we can always know. We'll go in circles. We'll be able to know when it is, what time it is, how long we've been here. We can mark this stuff off. And so then this cosmic ball of water God looks at the cosmic ball of water and he says, waters separate. The waters separate. The scripture says that some of it went up and some of it receded into the low places on the ground. Thus now there's clouds in this universe, this atmosphere. And all the water kind of recedes back and then all the high points of the land are there and, and so the ground is there and God says I will call this land your name is land but it's just it's just really just a great big mud ball really you know just a big muddy watery mud ball and God says that will never do oh I like the ground but the ground should do something else something beautiful produce vegetation seed bearing plants fruit and it just erupts from the ground. Now it's like a chia pet. Remember those? It's got a little green stuff all over it. So cool. Then he looked at the waters and he says, the waters, the waters, they serve a much better purpose than just being waters. Fill full of life. And every sort of sea creature you can imagine fills up into all these places. And he said, water, I'm going to call you sea. 
Then he looks into the sky and he just sees the water that had already powerfully and obediently uh, responded to God's word and moved upward. And he says, the sky is empty. The sky should have something in it. And he creates all manner of animal that doesn't have, doesn't have arms. It's wings and it takes flight and it just soars in this, what they call God named the sky. God thought all of it was good. All of it was good. The thing I love about the creation story is the contrast. I have a thing about contrast. I'm going to tell you a terrible story. It's probably a terrible story on me, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. I have this snapshot in my mind of my youngest daughter probably three or four years ago she would have been, I don't know, five or six. My dogs, these German shepherds, had killed a great big possum in the yard. And so I looked at my already smaller five or six-year-old, and I said, slip on some gloves, would you? Go grab that possum by the tail. Throw it into the burn barrel. She says, is it dead? I said, well, I'm quite sure it's dead. Pretty sure. Okay. She puts on her little red gardening gloves that are a little about two sizes too big. And she goes out there and she grabs this possum by the tail and she tugs it all the way to the burn barrel. It probably seemed like a mile away. And she's just hoisting it, uh, dragging this big old possum. And I remember sitting at the kitchen, looking at the kitchen counter at the sink, looking out the window and thinking to myself, such it's such good contrast because she's a sweet sweet dainty little girl that loves to play dollies and she's hauling a carcass that was kind of cool <laughs> and i know it's weird but i was like i like it it's cool you know and she was little and it's big and she's hauling this thing all the way out there it was disgusting contrast is cool one of the most beautiful places that i see contrast where i live is after a real hot day the night gets cool and it comes in so the morning gets kind of chilly and then all the warm water and those low-lying areas begin to emerge with fog and this ghostly haze just kind of creeps around the tree line following the water under the bridge and I think it is so cool sometimes I just stop and kind of watch it like this is really cool I like the contrast. When the sun comes up and you get to see the wheat or something turns a different shade of green than you've never seen before. I was down at the creek the other day and I was fishing and we got these barn swallows that have made a nest in our garage. And we like them. We like them, they're, they're kind of cool. And then eventually a little baby comes out. So, the mama and the daddy come flying out, whoo, and they fly out of the garage. I mean, inches from your head every single time you open the garage door. It's really cool. And then out comes the baby, this little bitty guy. <laughs> Flies out. He's all over the place. He's not good at it. You know, this is his first go round. He just made it through the rafters. He dropped back down through, made it through the garage door. So far, he's doing all right. Go down to the creek. I'm fishing, and I see him. Here they come. The mom and the dad are swooping down on top of the, on the water on the creek, just, just 
dipping their feet in the water. And the baby's following. And the baby doesn't get close to the water. Only the mom and the dad do. Then they come down, they get a little drink, and off they go. They just barely touch the water. Lightning speeds barely touch the water. They keep circling, they keep circling. Then the baby does the thing. Comes in, shh, gets brave. Shh, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to splash. I mean, psh, the water flies everywhere. Bow, comes up. And I started laughing out loud like, this is so cool watching. And this little guy, it's his first go around. He comes back around. He does it again. Now he's doing it on purpose. Pow, pow, pow. Pow, pow. The mom and the dad come back through. Pow, pow, pow. Now everybody's smashing the water. And I'm trying to fish. And it's funny at first. And then I'm not getting any bites, you know? <laughs> and I love it. It was really cool, the contrast of watching these things unfold and these things happen. Photographers are good at contrast. You can't capture a great picture unless there's contrast. The teachings of Jesus are full of contrast. Love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Go the extra mile. teachings of Jesus are full of contrast our God is a God of contrast it's not okay that we just take the sky and the clouds and we put them up there now we got to put something that lives in it that can soar in it it's not that we have the, it's not only good enough that we have the depths of the ocean we got to put creatures in there that you've never seen have you ever seen a hammer shrimp check that out would you you can't hardly put it in an aquarium because it hits so hard it busts the glass on everything. It has better cones in its eyes than we do. Sees more colors than we do. Yet lives in the darkest place ever. Contrast. Our God is a God of contrast. So when we get to this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 9, it's full of contrast. And sometimes what I find is that where I find contrast, where I see contrast, those are the places that impact me the most. I find me in these stories. Let me read it to you, Luke chapter 9. If you remember last week, we were talking about the transfiguration, this mysterious mountaintop experience where Jesus has Peter, James, and John, and they're on a mountain, and he's transfigured, made in the likeness of what he would probably have looked like in heaven right in front of them and standing beside him are Moses and Elijah. And then they come back down the mountain from this amazing spiritual experience back down to the valley where the first person they encounter is a man whose son is demon-possessed and obviously has been for years. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 37. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it is destroying him. 
I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him on the ground into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. And while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Verse 45, but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. The first contrast I see is this. Luke's words, the next day. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, the next day. Have you ever had these wonderful, fantastic, great, awesome encounters with God or time with friends, time with family? And then you get back to the workplace and, oh, you've been called into the office. You're done here. You're done here. Or you get the phone call, grandma has gone on, she's passed. Contrast, the next day, they were on a mountain with Jesus in all of his glory and the next day changes everything. Here's something that I don't understand about the world. I don't know how we can live without the hope of heaven. If it wasn't for the hope of heaven, I would, not be, I would not be sitting here in front of you. I would not be here. Because you have to agree. And maybe you keep your blinders on tight, and maybe I should. But this world is pretty empty. You can go down a whole lot of paths trying to figure out what's going to make me happy, and it's the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. I am not satisfied. But the hope of heaven strengthens me to get up to do the same thing. You know what? This is going to be different. Today's going to be different. We live in a world to where the Holy Spirit's going to empower us to make something of this life today. The next day. But you see, here's the other part. Maybe you came in here today broken, beat up, busted, addicted, screwed up, forgotten about. Your life so, so just disoriented and full of chaos that what you need to hear is just the opposite. It's been crap, right? It's just been garbage. Don't understand my purpose in life. Don't understand what I'm doing. My relationships have fallen apart. I'm addicted, but I'm not telling anybody. I'm screwed up. Is there anything better that can happen? Is there any hope whatsoever? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. This passage in Lamentations that says this. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Did you screw it up yesterday? Did you botch it up real good? Did you twist up the relationship? Did you break the marriage? Did you screw up a co-worker? His mercies are new in the morning. 
His mercies are new every morning. I love the contrast of where we're sitting when we take a look at Scripture and we say, I don't have anything to offer Jesus. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I need. Contrast. It's exactly what I need. The second thing that I see when it comes to contrast is this man who comes running up to Jesus. Now, here's what's cool. In Matthew's account, there's a conversation. In Mark's account, there's a conversation with, with this same man. And in Luke's account, there's a conversation with the same man. Mark's account says this. Look at my son. Matthew's account says, have mercy on my son. Luke's account says, look at my son. You know what I find interesting in here? Is that he never says to Jesus, heal my son. Could you just just look him over to see? I don't know. You know what that sounds like to me? Like lost hope. You ever looked at your kids and thought that? You ever looked at your friends and thought that? No coming back from that. I don't know that they can come back from that. And as a parent, there's nothing more helpless in the entire world. There's not a more helpless feeling in the world than when you look at your babies and they're sick and you can't do anything about it. If it was a kid at school, we could gather up our friends and we could go punk him on the playground, right? You want to mess with my daughter? What's wrong with you, you little seven-year-old, right? We could do this. If it was a teacher, I'd go to the school, kick through the doors. Let me talk to him now. But it's a fever. It's the thing on the inside. It's the thing I can't see, I can't fix. I can't put my hands in there and make it better. I can't say the right words. We are at the mercy of God. And this father sounds like he is whipped. Just take a look at him. I've had him everywhere. I've taken him to every doctor. Would you just look at him? The father replies in, in the book of Mark, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus replies, if I can, if I can? You kind of have to see a little bit of a smug, if I can? All things are possible for those who believe. If I can? And he says to the man, all things are possible for those who believe. And then the man prays one of the most honest prayers that we should probably learn and recite often. I believe, but not really. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. What it means is this. I can, with my holy imagination, envision God's providence moving into my life, but the probability thing is jacking with me. I don't know that you would. I don't know that you want to. I don't know that I'm worthy of you to do that. If you've been keeping score of anything that I've been doing, uh, and this prayer is based on that, I'm probably going to lose. Do you approach God in your prayer life with this idea of like, well, I hope, uh, hope he didn't see the last week. Uh, God, I would like to talk to you about some stuff that I really need, and I hope you just ignore all of last week, except for Tuesday. It was okay, mainly because I was asleep. 
Like that's how we kind of approach God. And this man is saying right here, I believe I can envision that you can do this. I have that ability to do that. All men are given some level of faith to believe in God. All men are given some level of faith. He can believe it. He can see it. But he knows good and well. Look, I've been up and down this road. We've been to every doctor. We've even gone to Mayo. If you can. Help me in my unbelief. It's an honest prayer. It's an honest prayer. I can say that Scripture says don't worry. So from this point forward, I would like all of you to no longer worry. How are we doing? Some of you are like, what did he say? I was worrying. Right? Don't worry anymore. See, I can say, don't worry. I believe, but not really. I, be- I do believe, I believe, but I'm having a hard time getting on board that you would want to. And this isn't a trumped up faith that just somehow strong arms God. This is a faith that, you know what? No matter what you do, you are good and I'll be okay. This will end in your glory and it will be okay. And I'm going to trust that. You see, here's what it takes us back to. The night exists at the same time as day. And this world can be a tragic disaster in one of the most beautiful times in the world. Second to second to second it can change because the phone can ring and you can hear the diagnosis or you can get the phone called or you can get the papers at the door and everything can change from second to second to second God does not change I believe but help me in my unbelief in my flighty flighty faith Philippians 4 7 if you have your Bibles look, look over at this real quick Philippians 4, 7. Starting in verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. We'll start there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Um, you know what I don't see in verse 6? where it says, by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know what's missing from there? Your track record. Don't present your track record to God. Okay? Let me explain it. If you've gone to the Lord and you've said, I've sinned and I've messed up and I need forgiveness, He has taken your sin, He's moved it as far as the east is from the west, He's buried it, what Scripture says, in the depths of the ocean, and He has forgotten where He put it. Corey Ten Boom says it like this. He hid your sin in the depths of the ocean and he put up a sign, no fishing here. So listen, you Jacques Cousteaus who love to just go to the deep and drag up your crap and bring it to God yet again. But God, I don't know that I deserve it. Remember this? And God's like, where did you find that, weirdo? 
Put that back where you found it. Stop. What are you doing? It's like a little girl hauling a possum carcass. What is wrong with you? Don't be weird. Put it back where you found it. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In verse 7, what will happen? And the peace that, passes, that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace, let's break this down, that transcends all understanding. Well, that's easy. A peace you can't understand will guard your heart and mind. A peace you can't understand. A peace you will not experience in this life apart from God will guard your heart and mind. Second contrast that we see is this believing but not really believing. One of the things that helps to boost faith is reading God's word. But another thing is putting ourselves in a place to where we are honest with God. We have trumped up prayers and we have weird dialogue with God and if you were to talk to me like you talk to the Lord, or if I was to talk to you like I talk to the Lord, it would be like this. Um, hello, Eric. Uh, dear Eric, um, I was thinking the other day, Eric, how, Eric, there is this, my heart, and, you know, pray for my kids, Eric. It's not a conversation. It's this weird thing that we do and we say. Instead of this, this approaching God to say, here's the deal. I'm praying to you and at the same time doubting if you're hearing me. I probably need some help with that. And that's real. And that's honest. Third thing we see as a contrast is this corruption of innocence. This corruption of innocence. They come off of this mountain and they encounter this boy. It says in one of the accounts, uh, Matthew or Mark, the account is, it oftentimes tries to throw him into water or into fire to kill him, the demon inside the boy. Often try, oftentimes tries to throw him into fire or water to kill him. And you can hear the, you can hear the father's voice, just this broken plea. Some of you have seen this, right? We've all seen it at very, various degrees. To where you've got a child and it's got a fever and there's nothing you can do. You've got a child and they're struggling in a certain place and there's nothing you can do. And then sometimes children grow up and they become adults and they struggle and there's nothing you can do. And sometimes they grow up and they get addicted and there's nothing you can do. And you can be kind and you can be loving and you can use tough love and you can lock the door and you can change the locks. There's nothing you can do. You can't fix it and sometimes it gets even worse and we lose we lose the life of somebody that we love and we care about let me tell you this if you've been in that spot here would be as trite as it may sound here would be the words that I would give you daylight and darkness exist at the same time night and day exist at the same time and God can offer you day to day step by step healing for whatever you're going through and it will be tough and there's not a great big band-aid because here's what we learn right here the pathway to healing the pathway to glory the pathway to carry out God's will doesn't come through peace 
It comes through brokenness. It comes through suffering. I want you to envision this picture. Jesus is talking. He heals the boy. He casts out the demon. And everybody begins to applaud. Can you see this? Everybody's, oh my, it says they are marveling at the power of God. And everybody is, oh, that was brilliant. Jesus, well done. And in this moment, Jesus turns to his disciples to take the opportunity to say this. You want to talk about a buzzkill? This is an absolute buzzkill, Jesus, right here. He turns and he looks at him and he says, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. He's going to suffer and die and be rejected. Everybody good? Like this is a momentous occasion. Like everybody's losing. This is awesome. Did you see him heal that? And Jesus calls a huddle and he brings everybody in here. Hey, 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 come here, right here. Listen close. We're about to go to Jerusalem and it's going to get hairy and I'm going to lose my life. Team on three. <laughs> what? It says they did not understand it. Of course they did not understand it. Did you see what happened? Why in the world would Jesus not sit back or the disciples just lean back and everybody just be like, well, that's my, that's my rabbi, that's my rabbi. No, it's not that. It's not that. Jesus does not care for the applause. That's not why he gave the applause. Glory and global redemption is not going to happen with the healing of one child. Not going to happen. Global redemption is not going to happen by feeding 5,000 people. Those are great things. But that's not going to fix the world. Global redemption will take something else. The fourth contrast that we see is this one right here. The pathway to glory is through suffering and pain. It's through suffering and pain. If you call yourself a Christian, yet you hope for the path of least resistance and pain in this life, you will sorely, sorely misunderstand our Lord. He's the one who said, in this life you will have trouble. Period. They will persecute you. Count it a blessing. Oh, that sounds terrible. And that's what he told us. For Christians, it's going to be that way. Listen, you are called to be a part of from every other single idea in our culture and in our world. It will always be against you. For us to get the idea in our head that maybe we can just kind of slide by here or slide by there, and maybe it won't hurt so much, it's gonna hurt. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. And the contrast for us is this. This is the cue. We dig in. This is a higher level of discipleship. God is calling us to a different way of living. There are people here who live this way, and I love it. They actually believe it's better to give stuff away than to get stuff. You believe this. Many of you believe this. It is actually better pray for those who curse you instead of rant and rave and lose your crap on Facebook it's real there are those of you who believe that a kind word changes people's life that by giving a little bit of your time you somehow make an inroad that will get them to glory 
You believe that putting other people first instead of yourself will make a difference. All of this comes with sacrifice. And if we want to change the world, if we want to see contrast happen in the lives of other people, it comes through sacrifice. It comes through change on our part to where we submit to other people and say, I need to make them better than me. I need to concern myself with who they are and where they are. And I need to do my best to help them move forward. That's what God's called us to do and to be. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9. Three times... I pleaded with the Lord. Three times I went to the Lord and pleaded that he would take this thorn from my flesh, whatever it was, whatever the problem that was stuck, that was jacking him up. Three times I went to the Lord. Have you ever said, have you ever prayed to the Lord, just take this thing away from me? You ever pray that? I mean, you don't have to agree, but, I, you know, it's like double blink if you. Lord, if you would just take this thing away from me, just this one thing away from me, do you know how much better of a Christian I would be? I'd be knocking it out of the park if I didn't have this jacked up thing in me. Three times he went to the Lord, please take this away. Three times? Listen, I think Paul quit early. You with me? <laughs> me and the Lord, I had some discussions for years about some of this stuff, right? Just fix me. What is your problem, man? He says, I asked three times. Here's what the Lord said. Nah. My grace is more than enough to cover that deal in your life. How do you mean? Keep struggling with it. Stay in the game. My grace is enough to cover that. My grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, but if you took this thing, nah, nah, nah. Not taking it away. You need it. Need it. You need the struggle that you have in your life that you can't get over. You need it. With prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. God, thank you so much for this pain that is in my life. But I'm like a little kid on a playground. Fall down, scrape up my knees and come running to the nurse. I need another Band-Aid. I need another Band-Aid. The teacher's like, just brush the gravel off and move on. No, I think I'm dying. My prayer life to the Lord, but I think it's killing me. It's going to be my downfall. My grace is sufficient. Stay in the game. Keep pushing against it. I need you to have this. This is, how the phrase, this is how the verse goes. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Without this weakness, you will rely solely on yourself. With this weakness, you will empower me to be a bigger part of your life. Thus, the business card does not say, I'm a professional and I know what I'm doing. It says, I'm pretty jacked up. Feel free to come along. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing exactly, but I'm trying real hard. And the Lord says we're going to make it if we just stick together. So I'm, I'll leave for now and 
You'll probably have to do it later. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says in response to Jesus' words, then I will boast, check this out, all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. If I want the power of Christ to rest on me, then what I have to do is I have to become a transparent individual. I have to take my garbage and I have to hang it out. I have to brag about the fact that I am broken and that I'm messed up. And that has to become my story. Because any other story is going to be about me. And I'm going to try my hardest to convince you I really have my stuff together. But if my story is, the Lord is busily holding my stuff together. Busily holding me together in all of my weakness. And the power of God is present in our life. Thus the contrast is, will I choose my ego? Or will I choose the power of Christ? Christ. 